Hello, my love. Hiya, love. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm appreciating this beautiful place we're in. Welcome to Myth Mountain, episode three, where we're going to be exploring imposter syndrome. Tell me what the definition of imposter syndrome is then, my love. As far as I understand it, imposter syndrome is when you believe that you're tricking people around you into thinking that you're much better than you are. Mm. So you feel like you are the imposter and that you're unworthy of doing the thing that you're doing or being with the people that you're with. So for example, I'm unworthy of releasing this piece of music because I'm just tricking people into believing that it's worth listening to. When in reality, it's, it's not worth it because I'm not worth it. Mm. And it's a really common experience. It often appears when we either put something out or we begin something new or we reach beyond our comfort zone. I experience it all the time when I start a new job. Do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. I might have gone through the application process, had an interview been offered a position and then day one begins and I am believing I'm an imposter like I don't belong like someone's gonna find out that I've tricked them and and then banish me forever and find out what you're really like exactly and you out so it's an interesting experience because um, often it comes with shame mm. when you believe that you're not worthy so it's really about feeling ashamed about your what you might call your real or deep self. Yeah. And that because you're ashamed of it, you're presenting just a part of yourself to the people around you and you're worried that they're gonna see through that, that imposter, if you like, that mask. Exactly. It can come out in different ways, like believing that you need to be perfect at everything and if you're not, then there's no point. That's one way it might present itself or unless you have something really, really good and clever to say, then there's no point in being there. Then you don't deserve a seat at the table. You know, I'm curious to ask you about whether you've experienced that before in, with your creative work. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was someone else. <laughs> I, I think anybody who engages with an audience goes through some stages of an imposter syndrome automatically because when you're doing something that's public facing you're inevitably inviting people to a degree into part of your personal space you're not inviting them fully into your personal space you know that you're not inviting them into you in your pajamas at 7 30 in the morning grumping over a cup of coffee <laughs> but it's not that intimate but you are bringing them sort of closer into yourself so it's it's a little bit vulnerable i don't think i've i've had severe <coughs> issues with imposter syndrome in the past but i've certainly know what it feels like to to be a little bit ashamed of who i am for whatever reason and having to sort of push through that a little bit and and take a little bit of a risk and reveal a little bit of myself trusting that people will not shun me or ridicule me or make me feel bad about what it is that I'm doing mm -hmm. and I think that's a natural part of of just putting yourself out there in the world sometimes 
It's really about trusting the people that you're going to be communicating with and having a relationship with, I think. I mean, that's quite interesting in terms of being a musician and a performer because, um, well, as far as I can see, often you, you don't know who your audience are. Well, you don't... You might have a relationship with them, but you don't necessarily have an intimate relationship with them. You put a piece of music out into the ether and it's available for anyone to listen to. It's a very different situation these days with modern communication technologies because we can put ourselves out to lots of people far quicker and in far greater numbers than we ever could before. So whereas in the past you literally had to get people to turn up to the same place you were in to come and listen to you sing a song, now that song, that vulnerable part of you, that emotionally intense part of you, let's say, can go out into the world to loads of people and it's just guaranteed that some people won't resonate with it and don't care about it and may even say some really nasty, horrible things about it. It's a necessary part of living in the digital era as an artist that you're going to have these two extreme reactions. I love what you're doing. I hate what you're doing and everything in between. Can you elaborate on this idea about not being attached to whether people like you or not as you as an artist? Well, it's not about not being attached because I, I don't think that's possible. I think we all are instinctively attached to the potential for new relationships. I just think that's, that's a, a human fact because otherwise we would just be cold, emotionless robots who didn't care about anything that anybody thought and that's kind of sociopathic as far as I understand it. So it's not that you don't care or that you're not attached but what you hope is that there will be enough people who will want to make a connection with you that you can attach to and that that will balance out the people who don't care about what you do. And that's perfectly normal, you know, that we take strength and draw strength from our community, from the people we do resonate with, and we don't worry too much about the people that we don't. Mm. And so the attachment is actually really important. It's just we need to be aware of where we're putting the attachment and where we're potentially squandering our attachment and also thinking that you can just attach and connect and have a relationship with everybody on the planet is a bit unrealistic. Yeah, so I suppose that you are secure enough in yourself to be able to pursue the relationships that work. And so if you circle back to imposter syndrome and what happens to us when we have those beliefs of unworthiness in relation to what we're doing and then what that feels like in our bodies and how that impacts us. How would you begin exploring this in a compassionate inquiry session? Well I would be firstly curious about what it felt like when you believe that you're tricking someone into buying your music and that you believe you're an imposter. So for me, that would feel like closing down or shutting down or constricting or tensing up and yeah. making myself into a little ball. 
and I can see your fists in like constricting and your body's going inwards. I'm clenching my fists and I'm arching my shoulders and I'm tucking my head down and I'm, I'm trying to make myself small. You're yeah. trying to make yourself small. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that would be the curiosity for me. So your body is trying to make you small. And is, is there an emotion? Would there be an emotion that would be attached with that? I suppose there's two that come up and there's, there's fear. Mm and maybe specifically fear of judgment. And then there's also shame. Yeah. And I want to hide the, the thing that I think is shameful about me. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so, so naming those things and, and allowing yourself to, to see them might be useful. Knowing that, 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 that that's what goes on, that in that belief there's this body posture alongside fear of judgment and, and shame. So we've got this far where we've felt what it feels like in the body and we've uncovered feelings and emotions that are connected to this shape of the body, this posture. What could we then do about it? I mean, I suppose just to add to that, quite often what happens is that you just relive that over and over again, that that's the experience. Every time you embark on something new or put yourself out there and... For me, I got so used to that experience that I would expect it. You know, on day one of my job, I would be like, okay, come on, I know it's going to happen. The wanting to hide, the shame, the believing I'm a fraud, all of these things. But it never went away. And so for me, the curiosity I would have is what role does the shame and the fear have why would have you needed to make yourself small? Well, it's a defensive posture, isn't it? It's to defend against perceived or potential attack or threat. Okay. So I could ask the question, when was the first time that you needed to make yourself small in response to perceived attack or threat? I would argue that we don't need to avoid or defend against pain and suffering that that's actually a learnt response can you just clarify what you mean by pain and suffering here you don't mean like intentionally going out and hurting yourself do you no absolutely not what I mean is that kids particularly and we can speak to that hurt themselves a lot and cry a lot and experience you know, suffering, it seems, a lot. In You know, a toddler might fall over like five times when they're in the park and run to you for comfort. And I suppose I believe that it's my job as a mother to not take away their pain, but to help them experience that it's okay to be in pain and there's someone there for them. Mm. And I can just be with them as they experience it and then it doesn't lodge or they don't think, oh, I'm in pain, but I'm alone. Hmm. And that's really hard as a kid. I'm in pain and someone's sending me to my room or I'm in pain and someone's telling me to shut up. You know, it's like, hmm. and then it becomes even more painful. But then you prevent yourself from feeling the pain. The pain could be that when you have something to share or something to say, then no one's there to receive it or hear it or cheerlead it or 
help you or validate it. And the adaptation then becomes to shut down and separate from your desire to express because it's apparently less painful. That's fascinating. So the shame actually separates us, but also keeps us separate and keeps us in that belief that we're not worthy. And just in very practical terms, that's actually exactly the opposite of what you want as an artist or a performer or someone who's providing something publicly, who wants to promote themselves, for example, mm. who wants to have a presence on social media or put up posters of your face all over town because you've got a gig or whatever it is, I think that's it's the exact opposite of what you've just described yeah i mean just in a very practical way you try and sing when you're in that posture it's almost impossible because your lungs are collapsed your hands are in fists you can't access what you need to access it's actually you're physically blocking yourself from the flow of creativity mm. it's so powerful isn't it the body it's so uh so fundamental I mean I know that sounds a bit of a banal and obvious thing to say because we are in bodies but just that notion of constriction and physical restriction that that we express when we feel these really powerful almost overwhelming feelings it's it's no surprise that people find it difficult sometimes from the perspective of the creative process what do you do when you notice these things happening for you that's a really good question. Um, I suppose because I'm a bit long in the tooth and a bit grey in the beard, I'm probably more used to taking these steps unconsciously. What I often do is, is I try and break it down into small risks. So as opposed to taking one big risk, I try and take a series of smaller risks to build trust and build a relationship. And I, I think that's actually how people coming into your audience for the first time like it I think I don't think people want full disclosure here I am here's my personal life story this is what I've been doing here's all my work I think people want just as in any normal human relationship you want small incremental steps towards familiarity mm. and so taking small steps in what you reveal about yourself a little bit at a time I'm unfortunately going to compare this to uh, social media strategy for an artist but that is something that I'm familiar with and something I do but you you put out one post that's 60 seconds long that talks about one aspect of your work and you realize that maybe only 10 people saw it and that's fine you just do it again and maybe the next time 20 people saw it and the people who saw the first post know a little bit more about you so it's this gradual revealing of oneself taking these small risks and dipping your toe in the water and finding out what you're comfortable with and then also realizing what you don't want to share about yourself what don't I want to say because we do have personal lives so small risks I would say is is an, a really easy way of working through the tensions that can arise when you're wanting to step out your comfort zone and present yourself publicly yeah thank you and just full disclosure here actually embarking on this podcast with you really terrified me and was a real felt like one of those small risks for me um and I knew that you'd done a lot of this kind of thing already and you were you're quite versed in this but for me it's been 
uh, yeah, it's been interesting to notice the amount of fear coming up for me around it. And also, not like feel the fear and do it anyway, but for me it's more like feel the fear, hold myself compassionately, noticing that I am afraid and that actually there's nothing wrong with that and carry on doing it. And you're doing it beautifully, love, <laughs> as I knew you would. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, because, you know, I was just thinking about this whole fake it till you make it culture that I really don't resonate with because I don't actually think you can fake it till you make it. Personally, I feel like you can acknowledge what's happening to you and, and inquire into it and sit with it and not make it wrong. And sometimes that can be enough to be able to move forward. Yeah. with a project that you were really passionate about and really into. For me, the best policy is always as much honesty and transparency as you can muster. Because, especially if you're working with a group of people or a team, you want them to know where you're at. You want them to respond to you as a human being. You don't want to lie to them about what you're capable of or how much pressure or how much of a workload you can take on. Now, usually there are external pressures on that, expectations of a company or expectations of a funding program or expectations of an audience even but within the group as much as possible I would always say be as transparent as you can be because people are people and people will understand where you're coming from and if they don't then deal with it there and then do deal with that difficulty that interpersonal difficulty you might have with someone deal with it as soon as you can so you know where you stand yeah. and that you can respond and adapt accordingly. Maybe it involves talking to that person. Maybe it involves taking an extreme action like, well, I'm not going to work in this company anymore. But whatever it is, you need to know what your options are. And the only way you're ever going to know that is if you're honest and upfront with people and transparent about where you're at. Well, also, people feel what's going on for you anyway. So if you're not being honest with them and pretending that everything's okay and it actually isn't okay, then the people around you will know that and it becomes really confusing. Then the interpersonal dynamics can be, oh yeah, everything's fine. And they're like, well, it doesn't seem like it is. So is that because of me or is that because of you? And then it becomes this unverbal soup of confusion. Mm. And just by naming what's happening and saying, actually, I feel a bit afraid. I'm, you know, it's the first time I've done this and it's bringing up a lot for me. It can be enough just to diffuse that tension of like, no one really knows what's happening. Yeah, and you might even find that the person you're talking to says, oh my God, yeah, me too. And you both have uh -huh. a laugh about it. Yes. And then you can move on. Yeah, because actually, just going back to imposter syndrome, it feels quite endemic in our culture. Most people have had some kind of experience of imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. Mm. I suppose just at the end here, it's worth pointing out why we're talking about imposter syndrome on the Myth Mountain podcast and how it works with our programme. I think it's because it's one of the most common blocks people have to expressing themselves. Mm. And it's one of the most common blocks people often have to starting a creative project, especially if they've never done it before. And it's one of the first hurdles 
lots of people are going to have to come up against before they can really progress and move on with their discipline. Because on the Myth Mountain programme, one of the things I'm trying to encourage people to do is to think of themselves as a musician or a poet or a novelist or an essay writer or whatever your discipline is, mm. is to think of yourself as that type of practitioner. Even if you've only written two poems in your whole life, you may as well start thinking of yourself as a poet if you're serious about following the discipline of poetry. You may as well, you may as well risk it. You don't have to print yourself a name badge and print big posters saying, I am a poet and tell everybody. <laughs> but I think it's important that you start thinking about yourself in this way, regardless of what people around you may think of that. It's something that you need to acknowledge in yourself because it will empower you and give you energy and help you move on in your discipline. And really, really notice if you put a but on the end of that. Try just saying I am a and whatever it is without then sucking it back in. And if you are clenching your fists and raising your shoulders and making yourself into a little ball then I suppose the advice would be is to well stay with that mm. and feel it and acknowledge it and then where could we move from that love? What would you advise someone to do once they've felt it? Well see what it might need you know if you're like experiencing yourself as a five-year-old child who's hiding under a table because you're scared of being judged then what would you say to a five-year-old if you saw them doing that you might sit next to them and say hey I'm here with you I'm really really want to know what you what you have to say what you have to share tell me all about it I'm not going anywhere and that might be enough just to ease that tension a little bit Thanks, love. Yeah, thank you, Gwilym. Thank you, Tally. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Myth Mountain. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Bye.